0: Romans five one part two. I originally planned to preach from two texts in Romans, Romans five one, and Romans eight twenty eight through thirty. Uh, and those whom he called, he also justified. Um, but I got too much light on my feet in the first sermon and didn't cover all the material I wanted to from Romans 5.1. So now I'll do that, kind of a part two, or concluding contemplations upon Romans 5.1. So in the first message, I asked some questions. What does it mean to be justified? It means to be declared forgiven and righteous based on the doing, dying, and rising of Jesus on your behalf. Then I asked a question after we defined, I defined justification. You like it when a preacher does that? After we defined, we didn't define it, you did, preacher. So after I defined justification, started, I asked more questions. The second question is, was What is the means ordained by God to obtain this status of justification, this lavished grace of justification? Having been justified, By faith, Paul says, so we looked at faith as the alone instrument, the soiled hand that receives, not merits. Faith isn't meritorious. Faith is passive in that sense. Faith is a receptive, creaturely instrument through which we receive the offered grace of justification, And then we ask the question uh, after uh, analyzing the instrument, faith, we ask the question, what is the immediate result of having been justified? We are having peace with God. And certainly, a part of that peace is that which we experience in our consciousness, a sense of tranquility. It's okay with me and God. But I think this is primarily referring to that which is obtained by the work of Christ. We are no longer uh, enemies. We are no longer at war with God. Um, We are his friends. We are his children. We are his beloved ones. We are the apple of his eye because of Christ. Then we, after that question, what is the immediate result of having been justified? Uh, I asked the final question, through whom is this result of having been justified by faith obtained? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that, in less than five minutes, was the entire sermon uh, in the first hour. But now I want to kind of back up a little since everybody that was, uh, is here was there present for the serf- first sermon. I don't have to redo all the exegetical stuff, but we can back up having explained the text and think a little deeper about it and contemplate, okay? And use our minds. Here is one thing I would like to have you contemplate, and it is this We must constantly remind ourselves. That there are two views of justification and two views only. And they are, quoting a man named Trail, and they are that the justification of a sinner before God is either on the account of a righteousness in and of ourselves. Or, on the account of a righteousness in another, even Jesus Christ, who is Jehovah, our righteousness, law and gospel, faith and works, Christ's righteousness and our own, grace and debt, do equally divide all in this manner. Crafty men may endeavor to blend and mix these things together in justification, but it is a vain attempt, okay? There's basically two views. Either it's all his righteousness, or it's either some of his and partly mine or all mine, okay? There's just just two views, now, there are crafty men, though. Not only back in the 17th century, you know who one of them was? Richard B. Not Barcellus. Baxter. Okay, For some people, Richard Baxter? Really? He was one of the crafty men? He botched up justification horribly. He, the gospel, the law that Christ fulfilled on our behalf uh we are no longer debtors to because Christ fulfilled it. But the gospel is a new law, he said, neo-Nomian, new lawism, that has commands that we have to obey, that in the end, being become our obedience to those commands becomes part of the reason we are justified. You crafty Baxter Baxterianism is what it was called Yeah, one author writing a biography of him I read this one time I think it was in J.I. Packer he was quoting this guy the guy said who's was talking about um, The Saint's Everlasting Rest which is a work by Richard Baxter I haven't read it I stopped reading Baxter I was reading Baxter because somebody gave me Baxter in the 90s then I met Jim Renahan and I stopped reading Baxter except to find lousy statements by him that crafty men in our day actually say, but in different words, and they don't quote him, and they confuse God's people about justification and sanctification. Anyway, Saints Everlasting Rest was this it's apparently, it's a, it's a very popular book, well-known book by Richard Baxter. The guy was saying, you know, it's about heaven, and he says this about Baxter. How can be a man be so right about heaven and so wrong about how to get there. I never forget I forgot that line I uh, uh, can't remember where I, I think it's Packer's quest for godliness or something that, like that. By the way which is so ironic for J.I. Packer if he's the one that I was reading who quoted that because because Packer was too soft on, on Baxter. He had a he had a softness toward Baxter that he really shouldn't have. Now he did his dissertation on Richard Baxter so of course, you're going to, I guess, be a softy toward him. But on this issue, he shouldn't have been. Um, but there are crafty people in our own day. It's out there if you're on Twitter. There's this weird view of justification uh, that's out there. It's not a weird view. It's a, It's not a new view either. It's an old view. But it's under new terminology. Some of you know about this federal vision thing. Um, and as... Helpful, especially in the past, that Doug Wilson might have been. He, this is one thing, he, he can't seem to get himself utterly unhitched from all that stuff. Um, that's confusing. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's probably better for you. But we must constantly remind ourselves it's all him or either all us or part of us. Those are the only two options. And our text was very clear. Having been justified by faith, we who have been justified by faith are having peace with God and this peace with God that comes by virtue of having been justified by faith is through our Lord Jesus Christ. We could say period or exclamation point or full stop. It's not that we have all this, the grace of justification, the peace that comes with it through our Lord Jesus Christ plus Add something you do. It's period, exclamation point, full stop, amen. Let's sing the Gloria Patri or whatever, you know. So, a second contemplation we must remind ourselves that this doctrine is for Christians. This doctrine of justification for Christians. Huh? Who did Paul write to? Well, it was an evangelistic letter to lost people in the ancient Roman world. Romans wasn't an evangelistic letter, was it? Who was Romans wrote, written to? Christians, a church, and by extension, the churches throughout the ages and the brothers and sisters of those churches. The doctrine of justification is for Christians to drink from its fountain, to remind themselves that God justifies the ungodly, and that all your sins are forgiven, and the ticket to glory has already been merited, bought, and earned by another. Those are good things to remind ourselves of. You remember Luther? I've said this before. We must beat the gospel into our people's heads. Why? Because you're a knucklehead. Well, we're all knuckleheads. We tend to forget the freeness of forgiveness and grace, We tend to cloud the gospel uh, and justification with our lives. As if God says, I've done all I can to save you. You've got to do the rest. We must remind ourselves that this doctrine is for us. The justification Paul spoke of here, written to and for believers and elsewhere... Is a one time unalterable declaration that if once true of a sinner, then always true. So if you're struggling with your assurance, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. One thing will never change. My level and degree of piety or sanctification, that'll change. But the verdict from heaven that's been announced through the written word of God, that won't ever change. Why? Because the basis of the verdict is the completed work of Christ. For me, not the continual work of Christ in me. So when you struggle, go back to justification. And say, you know what? My life sometimes can look pretty horrible, but that thing, that justification thing, that, that thing's that thing doesn't look horrible. It's never going to change. Justification can't be lost. Justification doesn't come in degrees. Justification can't grow. You can't shrink in your status as a justified person. It's not elastic. Once justified, always justified. And hence, once justified, always having peace with God. A third contemplation is that this text actually provides hope for any sinner hearing my voice that is not united to Christ by faith and therefore justified. Why do I say that? This text actually provides hope for you if if you haven't closed with Christ, to use old language. Because now you know, if you didn't know before... You should know now, especially since everybody listening to my voice was here the first hour, right? You should know by now that God justifies the ungodly through faith alone. Faith is the soiled, sinful, guilty, alone, passive, recipient of the promise of the gospel as Revealed in the written word of God, Old and New Testament. So don't sit here and saying, well, Pastor, it was a good sermon, and someday I want to be justified, but I, I, need, to, I need to change my life first. Um, in the language of that now dead preacher, you might choke on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich this afternoon. You're not serving peanut butter and jelly, no. Or some tacos or whatever we're going to have. Lingua. Oh. So, so see what I'm doing? Yeah. See who I'm talking to? I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking to my brothers and sisters now. I'm talking to anybody who, and it's hard not to look at the ones I'm talking to, might not have made a public profession of Christ And follow it up with the obedience of baptism and church membership. Don't leave here going, man, he's right, I'm all messed up. I need to clean up. Don't do that. Foul eye to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, I Sinner, go to Christ. Sinful, guilty, unworthy. That's the part of the glory of the gospel is we don't clean ourselves up in order to get something from God. But as guilty sinners, we we believe his promise. We believe his word. And so we go to the throne of grace in need of the grace that comes from the one upon the throne. You have nothing holy to offer God in order that he might forgive you of your sins and accept you based on anything virtuous in you. So don't say, all right, next week got to be better than last week or else I'm not going to heaven. You have a promise from God Almighty, that all who believe the gospel of his dear son receive instantaneous pardon and instantaneous unfettered acceptance with him due to all that is Christ's for us and not due to anything done by us. All sinners, the worst sinner. I think you can think of somebody on death row because of some horrible atrocities, the murder of eighty-four innocent children, let's say, and a sex abuser as well. And here that poor sinner is, and he hears the gospel, and the call comes that ushers him—not just a you know external call, okay—but that. He whom he called, he also justified. That calling, that effective summons can come to a vile person like the one I just uh, mentioned. And, And if he believes the gospel, he's as justified as the apostles themselves. So, what more could you want? You so, well, I want God to tell me for sure how to be saved. You want to hear God tell you that? Read the Bible. I borrowed that from John Piper or whoever it was. Right? A holy God has promised pardon and peace. By believing. So, what should you do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, right? That's, you know, that's when the Philippian jailer asked. That was the answer. He said, Well, it's, it's too easy. Believe. Easy believism. No, it's called sola fide justification by faith and faith alone. Yeah, works come into play, but not for our justification. They come as a result, surely, but they're not the steps we have to walk in order to be justified. All we have to do to be justified is be a sinner who believes in Christ. Boom. You say, well, it's too easy because what if my child says, well, Mommy, Daddy, I'm a believer in Christ based on that sermon. Uh, And then 10 years later, it proves that they weren't. You need to change the the freeness of the the offer of the gospel. We don't change the freeness of the offer of the gospel based on apostatizers. Oh, since somebody apostatized, they said they were a believer, but they in fact weren't believers, we're going to change the message. We're going to preach it, we're going to scold people and warn them. If you don't have X amount of works, you should realize that most likely you made Jesus your Savior, but not your Lord, and you have to take the whole Christ, or you'll have no Christ. And every week preach like that. How would you like me to preach like that every week? Right? Then, motivation for you, then, would not be gratefulness. It'd be terror and fear. I obey because I'm scared that I might go to hell if I... Now, you understand. We, we, we should, out of awe and reverence, obey God, right? But believers don't walk around going, like, if I... Don't do this. I'm going to get whacked by a heavenly water. You know, like the cat does with yarn. That's, we shouldn't view our heavenly father that way. But neither should I allow the fact that somebody can abuse the freeness of the gospel. I should not allow the fact that somebody should abuse the freedom of the gospel to to culture or inculturate or alter or change how I preach its freeness. Have you ever read sermons by Spurgeon? I mean, he just goes for it and just says... Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Don't bring your works or bring your works to be saved and forgiven, not in order to convince God to accept you. You're accepted by virtue of the beloved one and by virtue of the beloved one's finished work already. Come, come as you are. You know, what's that song, that hymn? You're going, I don't know, there's like thousands of them. Just as I am. Some people don't like that hymn. It's like, why don't you like that hymn? Everyone here, I think, knows the guy I'm thinking of that once I, heard, once, I once heard him say. He pastors a certain large church in the San Fernando Valley. I don't like that hymn. Just as I am. Why wouldn't you like that hymn? Hopefully, he's changed his mind. It's a, it's a wonderful hymn. It's true. Full of sin. Even as a believer... We should come just as I am. So simply because there might be some potential apostate hearing my voice doesn't mean I'm going to add some sort of scold at the end of my gospel plea. I'm just going to leave it out there for God, hopefully, to burn it in a good way into your heart. So, anyway, I'm finished with that. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel of God, the gospel of grace, the gospel concerning what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, the peace that was earned by him, For us, so that heaven is now on our side, not against us. We are not the objects of wrath. We are not the objects of the condemning word from Scripture that we're guilty and doomed to be damned because of our sins. We thank you for the glorious doctrine of justification, not merely that it's this, this, these thoughts that we have, but it's the revealed will and word of God to us in Scripture. That having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that message. And now, we who are believers, and we who are uh, baptized believers in churches, in this church, uh, we're going to take the supper, and we do this out of obedience and love to Christ, but we do it also asking your blessing upon it so that you would make it effectual, you would make it indeed a means of grace to our souls. Do that, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.